Today's reading is Matthew 5, verses 1 to 6, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and it can be found on uh, page 968 in the Church Bibles. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is the word of the Lord. As usual, please keep the passage open in front of you as we'll be looking at uh, those verses. Um, just before uh, we start, I'm, I'm aware we're, uh, we've been asking for money this morning, haven't we? We've been asking for money for building appeal and for mission gift day. Um, now, I just want to say, if you're new to Emmanuel Church, if you're not a Christian, um, uh, we're not asking for your money. Uh, those appeals are for church family members. I don't want you to sort of come here thinking Christians, they just want your money. Um, that is not the case. Uh, if you're new, um, please don't feel that you need to give uh, to those things. But church family members, really that, that's aimed, uh, aimed at you so that you're aware of the needs that there are. Well, let's pray as we come to those verses that were read. Heavenly Father, we pray, please, that you would teach us, help us to be ready to listen to you, to see your word, to understand it, and that you would change our lives through it. Amen. Well, we begin with this question, how do we approach God? Last week, we thought about the life that Jesus holds out to us that he offers living water, that is, uh, that he can give us what our hearts, what our souls desperately thirst for, life. And that thirst-quenching living water is to be found in relationship with God, that's what we saw last week, that that is the relationship we were made for, to relate to the living God. And it is only in relationship with him that we are truly free, that we have life in all its fullness. That is what we were made for, relationship with God. And this week we are thinking about how do we approach God? If life, real life, is found in relationship with God, how do we approach God? If uh, you've seen uh, people approach members of the royal family, you'll know that they are told uh, the protocols for how to approach royalty, how to come to them, how to bow or curtsy, when to do it, and how to address royals. Apparently you say something different the first time you meet them as opposed to any subsequent time during that day. Well, that's the protocols for meeting members of the royal family. Maybe some here have met royalty. What about for coming to God? If Jesus brings us into relationship with God, how should we come to God? How should we address him? How should we be before God? Well, this is where we come to the start of the Sermon on the Mount. 
which is recorded for us in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. The most famous sermon ever preached, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And maybe you're aware of some bits of it. Maybe even if you're not a Christian, you've heard of some bits of the Sermon on the Mount on the radio just uh, a few weeks ago. I heard a radio presenter who's not a Christian quoting from the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Judge not that ye be not judged which is an old translation, but maybe you've heard of that bit, or of turn the other cheek, or uh, love your enemies. There are a whole load of things that that maybe people have heard of from the Sermon on the Mount, and it is a wide-ranging sermon. It covers all sorts of things like prayer, and anger, and not lying, and a whole load of things. But actually, we need to make sure we start at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. There is logic to this sermon. You're not merely to dip in and out of it, but to start at the beginning. Because here is the doorway, the border crossing into the kingdom of God. Because that is what Jesus talks about. He talks about a kingdom. And Christians are those who've come into his kingdom with him as king. And the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is, as it were, the border crossing. It's how you come in. And it starts with the Beatitudes. And we've had some of them read that Joan just read for us. Those are the ones, the sentences that start, blessed are, blessed are the, and so on. Those are called the Beatitudes. And there are eight or nine of them, depending on how you count them. I'm going to say there are eight. Uh, and we're going to, uh, and they, they sort of form two lots of four. The first four are primarily about how we relate to God, and the second four, how we relate to others primarily. And so we're going to split them into twos. So this week and next week, we'll do two each, and they will be focused more on how we relate to God, how we come to God. So we're going to take the first two today. Now just a couple of things before we look at them. Um, It's important to see that when Jesus gives us the Beatitudes, he is describing all Christians. I know for many years before I uh, I looked at it uh, more carefully, uh, growing up and and going to church in my teenagers, when you heard the Beatitudes, you'd sometimes think, well, maybe he sort of talks about the poor in spirit. Well, that's one group. And then there's those who mourn. That's another group. And the meek, that's another group. And then, you know, so as if Jesus is addressing eight different groups of people, but he is not. He is talking about one group of people. He's talking about those who are Christians. So all of these characteristics should characterise all Christians. You see this because, you see, at the start and at the end, there is the same thing mentioned as reward. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, you see in verse 3. And then at the end, uh, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted, and so on, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is not different rewards, it is the same. And therefore, the whole thing is addressed to one group of people. It is those who are blessed by God. And they are not only for those as we come to Jesus, as we cross the border into being a a Christian. These are to be true of all Christians throughout their lives. So if you've been a Christian for many years... 
we need to keep coming back to these to ask, are these still true of me? Well, let us begin uh, with the first of them by thinking about how do we approach God? Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, immediately, I want you to see just how upside down this seems to be. Jesus is talking about the blessed. Others translate it, happy are those. Or it could be, uh, someone suggested it should be, to be congratulated. Here is a group of people who should be congratulated. And yet we see, uh, this is a group which are poor. Poor in spirit. And yet this is placed right at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, as it is the key to all that follows. Without it, we would misunderstand the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus puts it right up up front at the beginning. Here's the foundation stone, the starting point of being a Christian. It is characterised by being poor in spirit. That is the very first step into being a Christian. Now, what is meant by being poor in spirit? Well, we know what it is, what it means to be poor financially, don't we? We've heard increasingly of those who are fuel poor, that is, those who don't have enough money to pay for heating. Now, just as a little aside, if that is you, maybe you're feeling very uncomfortable this morning having been seen the presentations asking uh, for money from church family members. And yet, if you're feeling, actually, that's me, I'm, I'm fuel poor, I'm, I, I can't afford that, please have a chat with myself or one of our wardens, Robin uh, or John, um, as we'd love to uh, see what support can be found for you. But we know what poverty is, don't we? To be poor is not to have enough money. To be poor in spirit, that is, that we come to God knowing we have serious need. Indeed, that we come to God with nothing, no credit in our account. That I can't point to anything I have or anything I have done that will stand as credit before God. To be poor in spirit, as John Stott says, is to acknowledge our spiritual bankruptcy before God. Now, just consider, that is very different from the way we normally relate to others, the way we normally live our lives. In most situations, we want to appear as someone who has got something. It just isn't the way the world works to arrive poor, poor in spirit. Could you imagine an episode of The Apprentice? If one of the contestants, uh, when they've been given their task... And they split into their groups and say, who's going to be group leader? And someone says, well, I shouldn't be group leader. I've got nothing. I don't know. I've got nothing to give to this. I, I, I can't do it. I've got no, not got experience. I've not got the gifts. I've not got the abilities. There's nothing I can do here. Well, that person would be out in the first week, wouldn't they? You don't come to that situation. You've got to brag about what you can do. You've got to show off. You've got to blow your own trumpet. If you're going to get on in this life, you've got to have something, be something. You've got to have the X factor. You've got to have something. Even in relationships, romantic relationships, friendships. You don't want to appear to be someone who's got nothing. You want to be someone. Someone people admire. Someone people will love. Someone people will respect. 
but not so in coming to God. Our way of lives would suggest, uh, blessed are the rich in spirit. And actually, don't we assume that God should deal with us in that kind of way too? That when he looks at people, he would see people and, and see what they've done or see what they've got and bless them on the basis of that. Especially if people have done something heroic, something sacrificial. It's wonderful to have our mission gift day today. Maybe we think of those mission partners or those people in Ukraine, that pastor in Ukraine. Maybe we think, well, if God looks at them, he should see their accounts, uh, their spiritual accounts, and be impressed with it. Surely they are the people. That pastor, shouldn't he be someone? God would say, yeah, that's a blessed person who has sacrificed, who has done something, who has contributed something, done something significant, something amazing. No. It's not about what we do, is it? Jesus says, step number one, blessed are the poor in spirit. We, the people in Ukraine, people in Eastern Europe, others we're supporting, mission partners, anyone, step number one is to come to God poor. Any can do it. But yet it is so hard, isn't it? Because it requires humility. It means an absence of pride, of self-reliance, of self-assurance. It means not relying on your ability, your education, your goodness, general niceness, sacrifices, hard work, caring for others. Now maybe you find this offensive. For some it will be. Especially if you've done significant things that you think God should take note of. But we can't come to God with our trophies. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And what is the reward? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now again, do you see how this flips things upside down? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is no greater kingdom. There are no greater riches. Jesus is saying the poor, the bankrupt before God, get everything. Get the kingdom of heaven. It is life in relationship with God. Life for eternity. Come before God knowing you come with nothing and you get the greatest treasure imaginable. Now how do we become poor in spirit? Maybe an analogy is helpful here. I wonder how do you judge how fast you are. Uh, maybe you would say, well, I'm, I'm not about to do that. Maybe I'm not at a stage of life where I'm about to compete for fastness. But maybe you were at one point. Uh, how would we judge how fast we are? Well, maybe you would you'd see how fast you can get somewhere. You time yourself. Or maybe you have a race. Maybe we should set one up after the service out on the street. We see who's the fastest. And we could compete, couldn't we? Compare ourselves to one another. Of course, if you change the comparison, if we then started to compare ourselves to, I don't know, a cheetah or a Formula One racing car, if that was to zoom past and we were to try and run and beat it, of course we'd stand no chance. And actually the differences between us would be relatively insignificant compared to that thing which is so much faster. How do we see how poor we are, how we are in spirit? Well, we could just look at ourselves, but that wouldn't be a very good judge. We could compare ourselves to one another, but that wouldn't really help us. The way to see our poverty of spirit is to compare ourselves with Jesus. 
to look to him. See how he is. Just read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not, you don't know, get far before you see, actually we really are poor in spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a uh, famous preacher, preached in London for many years, says this, look at him, that is Jesus, look at him, and the more we look at him, the more hopeless shall we feel by ourselves, and in and of ourselves, and the more we shall become poor in spirit. Step number one, then, how we approach God, is to be poor, poor in spirit. Second, second step, blessed are those who mourn. Now just see again how upside down this is. That Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Have we ever thought that those who mourn are blessed? You would never go past a cemetery and see people gathered round a grave and think, they're blessed people. They're people who are happy. They're people who should be congratulated. We would never think that. You see, Jesus is teaching us. He's opening our eyes to how we approach God. And it's different from the way we would normally think. Blessed are those who mourn. But be clear, Jesus is not here talking about those who are mourning for loved ones. That is not what he's talking about. And we realise that because what we need to see is these beatitudes, these blessed are the, are not a random collection of sayings that Jesus had. They're not just a random list he put together. There is logic to them. They build on one another. Someone has described them as a golden chain. That is, they, they link one to another depending on the previous ones. And so this, blessed are those who mourn, depends on blessed are the poor in spirit. It takes us a step further, doesn't it? The poor in spirit, that is, those who look at themselves and see, I come with nothing. Those who mourn see that and are cut to the heart because what we have even what we have we realise doesn't stand for us but stands against us and therefore we look at what we have and we mourn so we look at ourselves and we are struck Struck that I am a sinner, that the badness of the world is not merely out there, but is in me. It is in the things I do and think and say. Now, often our problem is that we excuse the bad things that we do and think and say. Don't we have many excuses? You know, there are some people, and maybe you know the sort, who never seem to have done anything wrong. When confronted, they always have a ready excuse. Well, don't we like to do that for ourselves? We blame others. It wasn't my fault, it was them. We might blame our tiredness. We blame, uh, well, we say that the other person misunderstood me. Or we say, uh, it was my parents' fault, it was my upbringing. Or we say, it was our genetics, I couldn't help it. Or that it wasn't the real me. Or I don't know what came over me. Yet Jesus is far more blunt about things. When we say things that are bad, when we do things that are bad, he says uh, that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. The mouth speaks what the heart 
is full of. Paul Tripp uses this illustration. Uh, He says, uh, you see this glass of water? Do this down here. Don't worry, you won't get wet. Um, This glass of water, he says, um, you shake the glass of water. He says, why did water come out of the glass? He said, well, because you shook the glass. Yeah, and that, that's what we will say in our lives. Why did that, those words come out of my mouth? Well, I was shaken, and therefore that came out. Paul Tripp then says, no, hang on, why did water come out of the glass? Well, because water was in the glass. So too with the things that we do and say. Why is it that evil things come out of our mouths? Well, Jesus says, because evil things are in our hearts. And before God, the blessed person is the person who mourns for their wrongdoing. Not excusing it, but bringing it before God. Laying it out. Grieving for it. And the mourning isn't actually just limited to our own wrongdoing, is it? It, it, It's seeing the way the world is and grieving for the badness, the evil that is around us, the wars, the killings, the greed, the hatred, the inequalities and injustices, that our hearts would be stirred by those things to mourn. Mourn for it all. And the promise is they will be comforted. If we hide our sins, if we excuse them, if we pretend that they aren't so bad, there is no comfort. But if we lay them out, confront them, bring them before God and mourn for them, there is comfort. Immediate comfort and comfort yet to come. Immediate comfort, which is that sins are forgiven. As Psalm 103 says, uh, that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How can God do that? He he can't just say, oh, never mind about your wrongdoing. No, he takes us to the cross. That is how our sins can be removed. He shows us the remedy that Jesus paid on the cross, the price for us. His suffering and death can bring us comfort. And more than that, more than that, there is comfort immediately now if we will bring God our sin. Immediate, that we can apply to our hearts because of the cross. But there is comfort yet to come as well. Uh, This promise, as with many of the Beatitudes, the, the reward is both a now and a not yet. And the not yet is that Jesus has promised that one day, when he returns, his kingdom will be fully realised. And then there will be no more sin. A world without war and suffering and pain. So here we have uh, how to approach God. What are the protocols? What are we to do? How are we to approach him? Wonderfully, there is no pomp and ceremony. You don't need to dress in uniform. You don't need medals. In fact, they are frowned upon. But simply this. We come to God poor in spirit and mourning. Have you come to God that way? There is no other way to come. And while we say that this is the way in, the border crossing into the kingdom, that is not to suggest it's the only, that's sorry, that is the only way in, but it is not just for when we come in. 
It is for our whole Christian lives. Is it still how you approach God if you've been a Christian many years? Or do you feel that after many years of being a Christian, you know, maybe there is something in your accounts column, in the positive side, that you've racked up? It's easy to do. Maybe you feel you've built up credit before God. Then we need to come back to the basics, don't we? We need to come to God poor in spirit and mourning. There is no other way to be blessed. And there is no other way to come to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for these beatitudes. Thank you that Jesus opens up to us the way to approach you. And thank you that it is through poverty of spirit and through mourning. Move our hearts, Father. Help us to see uh, ourselves as we truly are. And to come to you in this way. And to rejoice that through your grace and your love, those who do so receive the kingdom of heaven and receive wonderful, everlasting comfort. Amen.